so so I, I forced myself to, to a learn very quickly fairly complicated things I was a hobby programmer at that time yeah and uh, but knew nothing as ne- no one almost did about networking and that's why it was so popular the kind of uh, local area networks of the 1980s and 1990s this was an effect of that boom that technology was available uh, and then I was the second thing was force myself to understand how I could survive standing in front of more than one people and talk about something slowly enough so they could actually hear what I was saying before I fainted. Depends on uh, who's counting, and, and thank you for, for having me, by the way. Yeah. I think that uh, it's um, things tend to be interesting if you survive long enough, and, yeah. and I, I, I've been that. So, so with some luck, we might find something that is actually relevant to, to what you would like to know. But I had a number of jobs. I've been working at McDonald's, uh, flipping hamburgers when I was very, very young. Uh, I've been a bartender part-time yeah. a very long time ago when I was like very small. Um, but the last, since uh, year 2000 approximately, I've been working uh, as a developer. And before that, I worked mostly with uh, TCP IP routing and networking technologies. So I didn't get that. Did you, are you like self-taught uh, or did you go to any kind of university? I am. And it's not as dramatic as it might seem because uh, apart from those first three or four years, everybody is self-taught. And, yeah. and after a couple of decades, it's less jarring not to have a teacher tell you something. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it's automatic. Yeah, I would say the <coughs> same thing goes for me. I don't know about you, Joachim, but yeah. uh, I, I guess you know in in this industry, uh, I'm more kind of into uh, the self-teaching thing because you need to be curious, right? Uh, and I guess that reflects your CV as well. I guess yeah. it does. Yeah. I suppose <laughs> yes. So, so you you've been <coughs> doing some instruction instructor work. Can you just talk, you've been to KTH uh, if you want to uh, have it in, in Sweden it. and yeah. you've been at, uh, what is, does it say here, Eknes System Constructor AB as well? Eknes. Yeah. Eknes. So, so tell me a little bit about your experience being a instructor. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I actually started out not being very good at being instructive and was uh, painful. That's how we learn, right? <laughs> yeah. not being good at it. Fail <laughs> fast. And boy, did I. Uh, I, I was uh, painfully scared to talk uh, in front of an audience. And I um, happened to jump in in the early 1990s after a short stint at the university studying yeah. linguistics because that was the only thing I could come into. And they needed somebody who could teach these uh, very, very uh, popular courses about network network technologies and later Microsoft networking uh, and TCPIP and firewalls. And I knew nothing about <laughs> any of that. And so you're going to teach someone with, with, uh, about TCPIP without knowing anything? Not, not really. Uh, I had some uh, time between um, A and B, and that is incidentally one of the best ways of learning something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so so I, I forced myself to, to A, learn very quickly fairly complicated things. I was a hobby programmer at that time, Yeah. And uh, but knew nothing, as ne- no one almost did, about networking. And that's why it was so popular, the kind of uh, local area networks of the 1980s and 1990s. This was an effect of that boom, that technology was available. Uh, and then I was, the second thing was, forced myself to understand how I could survive standing in front of more than one people and talk about something 
slowly enough so they could actually hear what I was saying before I fainted. <laughs> <laughs> But how, how do you feel uh, in, a, in a podcast now? It's uh, no, no cameras, it's, it's okay? Since, uh, since then, I've been uh, in, in the Obelix barrel uh, for many, many decades, and now I feel nothing. Uh, except that you are nice people, of course. <laughs> so, uh, so you mean that uh, in the audience, when you were instructed, you were not very nice audience? Oh, no, that was actually... <laughs> <Just kidding>. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. no, but, okay. uh, but that is the thing, right? To just uh, put a really um, hard line deadline uh, or put yourself in a situation where you're not comfortable uh, with. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit how you thought about it when you... So here I am. I'm not the best one in TCPIP, but I'm going to teach these students. So how do you go about it? It was actually a very uh, simple proposition. I was young and needed the money. (laughs) 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 Without any innuendo whatsoever, (laughs) thankfully. Oh, great comment. I love it, I love it, I love it. So so then you worked a little bit as a developer, consultant at different places, right? I had a startup in early 2000. Yeah. Uh, I worked with uh, Novell Network a lot. Novell yeah. Network had a dis- I remember them. Thank you. Yeah. N- n- not many people do. And uh, or, or have the capacity to do age-wise, <laughs> which sort of t- <laughs> <laughs> I qualify in that uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. area. <laughs> uh, fellow traveler. But yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one thing that that uh, Novell Network started was what the directory service that uh, listed the users and their rights to printers and folders yes. in, in in different distributed locations. And this was partitioned and, and replicated in a very interesting way. And I realized that you could probably do this kind of system for any kind of data. But the manual replication, the manual partition of this kind of you know, uh, asset database done manually is the wrong thing. The only entity that has the correct information at all times is the system itself. So you should auto-partition, auto-replicate. So I managed to get some investment money to do something I called Lagrange, which was you know, the perfect point between the moon and the earth where something is can change depending when you are. Anyway, I, I got this money and then uh, the dot-com boom happened. Yeah. Mm. Oh. V- very interesting, actually. So I'm, I'm now an expert in startups for the given definition of what an expert is. Somebody who has made all kinds of possible errors in a very limited area of knowledge. So I've done everything wrong. But, you know, but that is how it is in, in our world a little bit, uh, at least in our age. You need to crash a little bit uh, to, to learn. Uh, you need to, I don't know what it's saying is, you need to at least have uh, two failing or three failing startups before you actually hit, uh, hit the right one, uh, at least. So, so uh, I mean, it, it's, it's the way of learning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, do, do you think developers are afraid of failing? I think everybody's afraid of failing and I think that many very particular people who aren't particularly afraid are particularly good developers for that specific reason. Yeah. But uh, there are other ways to the pot of gold than not being afraid. But I think that handling fear and handling the the feeling that this is something physical that I might actually hurt myself or somebody else, which I has as a developer, to overbridge that, overcome that or displace that is part of Nobody talks about it, but that's a part of the developer experience. Yeah, yeah. I think so. That's true. That that that, that is really uh, cool because um, looking at um, yeah, your CV, you've been working um, team lead and CTO uh, uh, also as well. And uh, with the team lead, uh, we we talked a little bit about that uh, uh, having a team and development team and different roles. Would you like to elaborate a little bit about that? Um, 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, we spoke briefly about that before. And uh, my take on on team leads and the other roles in in a company is that it's easy. I work with. A, a number of startups have been a bit of a startup chaser for very yeah. personal gain reasons. So I, I'm giving a lottery ticket, yeah. aka equity, yeah. and then with some luck you can get something down the road. But yeah. it, it's always chaotic, but also very nice that you are doing a lot of things at the same time and can feel useful in, in many, many ways. But uh, a very common problem with startup is that the roles are often named, but very less clearly defined. Yes. And sometimes they are just, oh, you are like a team lead. And then you don't tell anybody else that you told this person to be a team lead-ish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that can go for product owner yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and product manager and, yeah. and, uh, and, and other kinds of roles as well. And everybody would like to have a little more of a soapbox to stand on and feel, especially the younger you are, the more important the title is. Yeah. And it's embarrassing, but it's, that's the way it is. It gives you a sort of confidence and uh, protection to the rest of the company. But, but then again, you know, in our uh, culture here in Sweden, uh, we are quite... Um, um, we believe a lot with the individuals, right? So we are not like high, I, I hate saying this word. Uh, I don't know why I have such difficult hierarchical. <laughs> no, we're not hierarchical. Mm -hmm. And and I think that I'm actually the, the what I'm advocating is not exactly a hierarchy as such. So even if you have a very flat organization, I think the the um, um, the demands that you put uh, as an owner on a specific role should be as clearly defined as possible. Yeah. But also acknowledging that everything is a bit of fuzzy at all times. Yeah, yeah. That makes it just more important. Yeah. So as a team lead, I I, uh, I think that you should do this and this, and you should not do that and that. Mm. And one example I gave where we spoke before is that there is, for a very, very good reason, only one steering wheel in a car. And that's because if two people think that they should steer the car or more, so yeah. you have a product owner who feel that they should be team lead. Yeah. This has not been communicated. And you have a team lead who thinks they should be team lead. And that has not even been communicated either. Then you have a receipt for disaster because uh, things are going what we in Sweden call log halt. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> mm. you're, you're, uh, you're shuffling your feet and with a bad balance. And yeah. uh, not you... you not due to you having a bad balance, but because you're assuming there is a curb somewhere which you should step on. So despite everybody's best effort doing the best they can for the company, uh, conflicts tend to, to spark and uh, people do double work and stuff like that. So I think it's important to be very clear in the roles and expectations. Yeah, and I guess that, that plays into as well when you are um, um, trying to just phrase my question right here so so when you're doing a startup you often have like uh, one technology person uh, who was the main starting uh, peep um, what do you call it now in uh, Swedish when um, one of the uh, technical founder yeah one of the fo founders was yeah. the word okay. uh, that I was looking for then you have one of the founders being technical and all of a sudden you as a team lead there yeah. uh, are coming in and taking over that kind of responsibility how has that been in that uh, perspective if you just elaborate on that as well i mean yeah it, it has been sometimes more than welcome and sometimes not so welcome and sometimes it has not been a problem at all because it has formed automatically yeah because i was part of not the founding team but i was maybe fairly soon chosen and there was no competition as such uh, i remember one startup where i came in as a team lead didn't really work as a team lead properly mostly because there was not so many people to lead as such 
but because the other team lead, also CTO, had moved to Australia for unknown reasons and been <laughs> absent for six months or no. more, and to build a house, or so he said. Uh, so so it, it, the world can be very complicated, and uh, and you try to do what you do, and, and you learn. So. So how did you uh, go from a leader, uh, sorry, for an individual uh, developer to a, a team lead? How was that transition and what what triggered you to do that? Uh, yeah. Except for the money. Uh, m- mostly <laughs> the money, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I think actually, embarrassingly enough, I think it's again to you are very much put on on the line as a developer you come to the work each day yeah and, you know i have no idea how we're going to fix this problem and i have a limited time of doing it and then somehow you fix it if you're lucky sometimes you don't and then you go home and then the next day there's a new thing that you have no idea how to solve oh. now i'm exaggerating a bit but it's it's really kind of it feels like a high-risk environment and when you uh, so you need all the kind of hats you can collect all the medical charms amulets and rings on your fingers with different kind of area damages if you can so a title is one of those so you can at least have some more control over what you're doing and and, and the planning so it's more of um, taking control of a situation that that affects you more yeah. than anything i think yeah i you know i started up as a developer as well but i i very quickly realized that I'm not going to be one of the best persons in in this area because there are so many talented people out there. Uh, so I realized that's that's the main reason why I jumped ship uh, to to do a leadership. <laughs> Everybody feels instead. that way. Uh, yeah, but but you made it to the top hundred developers in in Sweden list, right? I did, but it's not really due to me being one of the top hundred best developers. I'm just very well known. At this time, yeah. I made conferences, I had meetups, I had my own kind of weird programming competition. I sold the companies. I did something called Escape from Dev Null, who which was a programming competition that I think a programmers would actually like ah. without people selling things mm. with the uh, ties and, and uh, way too like much a rainbow of different uh, personalities and, and alternatives but, but uh, <laughs> I would like to take an ev- make an event that, that could lure up the people that sat in the basement and wasn't really very social but oh. it's still sort of cool enough to actually appear in yeah. and they could be safe while, while doing it and having fun but it was actually Actually, kind of recruitment event, but yeah. it, was, yeah. it was from the perspective of what makes a programmer having fun and feel comfortable. And it was uh, so successful, so I couldn't make any money out of it, so I ran out. Be- so, so I have a question there. You know, you 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 answered yourself a little bit, but how do you do this kind of ranking? Uh, actually, you oh, know, it's just well known. It's, it's, it's it, all about so if you have X like amount ra- of followers on Twitter, or then all of a sudden, as a developer, or or it's just doing speaking at uh, conferences. Uh. I, I th- this is my analysis. It's like Raymond Chandler said, you let the uh, right dogs pee on you. And when you got, <laughs> it's an old novel, he wakes yeah, up yeah. Uh-huh. early. But uh, it, it, it's very circumstantial. It's very random. And the, the, the real uh, enigma here is that the world is way more random than we think it is. And that's really uncomfortable. And we really don't want to think about it. Yeah. I actually like it. I do too, but, but, <laughs> but not many people do. So I think I'm a victim of random circumstances which have sort of brownie, brownied motion into certain parts of... Yeah, you know, we don't want to uh, have random events happening in like no. atomic energy and no. stuff like that. That's you, you kind of want it to be fairly not random. No. Um, sure. But moving ahead, um, we have, um, you know, I will just name a few and then you jump in which which one you have the 
Evo things, uh, and then you had friend base, and then you had uh, Army. Any any one of those particular you have any fond memories that you can share coming in? I, I can share a bit about Evo things. Uh, I I had uh, I started. Um, Before you do, yes. can you tell me what what did uh, Evo or what does Evo things do? I was going to actually. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, but but uh, yes, uh, the the Evo things, which is a very very uh, maybe unlucky name for English speaker because it sounds like evil things. Yeah. But the evolution of things. Yeah. So, so it really makes sense. Uh, it was a startup made by an acquaintance, like friend of mine, who's a really uh, smart professor at KTH. And uh, they had an idea of, at that time, to do a very quick development environment built upon another very smart person who created something as an experiment, which is then became a product. And it was a development environment for JavaScript-based mobile apps that communicate with IoT devices over Bluetooth. Uh, so the it was very very good and very uh, a very perfect environment for those people that needed it. But the uh, the marketing opportunities were not so large as they needed to be. So I think they they don't exist anymore as a company. Okay, they don't. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, okay, but uh, or maybe they, they, they exist as an entity of some sort, but they're not, not having any businesses. I think at the moment. Uh, but f- from my personal perspective, that was the first time that I was asked as a consultant because I had been my own consultant since 2009, and I, I swore never to start at any company again to be perfectly my own, ever, never again work at anybody else's company. And then they offered me equity and a very good salary, and I said yes and started team data evil things because I had built this uh, um, replicated kind of system that they used in, in three different parts of the world very ambitious turnkey you know log in buy a license be able to use it with your own studio downloading and stuff like that so re- really cool solution I thought and uh, nobody else knew how it worked so I, I got hired and then it felt like having a large silly pink uh, rubber suit of an animal <laughs> with long flop ears uh, and uh, it, it lo- I felt very silly but surprisingly comfortable and I got yeah. paid when I didn't work like having yeah. a vacation and stuff like that <laughs> so I got kind of re-acclimatized to Mennechobyn uh, the human city reality yes exactly and then I started doing this kind of startup uh, trip So it's interesting to, to, to challenge myself technically, succeed in that, and also to, to switch gears to the startup path. And, and this was the company you told us about a little bit before Ukrainian, or am I wrong now? I don't think I said anything U- Ukrainian, but that's interesting. The, the curb uh, food. Uh, yeah, the curb uh, food. Yeah. Ah, curb food, exactly. No, no, they, they, uh, they, they, they was not curb food. Oh. So curb was last year. And yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. That was really, really interesting. And it should have succeeded very well, uh, except that somebody decided to invade Ukraine. Oh, that's where the Ukraine yeah. came from. Yeah. 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 yeah, So it's Putin's fault, as yeah. most, most other things are. Um, well, and what was that all about, curb food? What did you do? Uh, I called it... Privately, Cyberdonken or Cyber McDonald's, uh, and, <laughs> and nobody liked that at all. So I stopped saying that uh, internally. But, but it was uh, uh, it was uh, trying to solve a problem that many people don't know exists. That when you are using um, Fodora or Uber Eats or Volt, etc., yeah. and try to order food for restaurant, the restaurant that, that actually make the food are not really very well aligned with selling things digitally. They have no. an iPad. They have existing customers physically, and they, they can be a, a large variation in the service level, 
and uh, and the time it takes to, to get the food. Yeah. And the, the integration point with the service like uh, Uber Eats and so forth. Yeah. So the idea was to create a, a company that was digital first, but created physical food that was 100% aligned with the APIs and the working inner workings of all kind of uh, food delivery. Yeah. And uh, that that has been done in India, I think, first uh, for a very successful scale up. And now they kind of copied that concept, tweaked it a bit, and it was a very, very good uh, idea, actually. And they had a lot of other interesting ideas on top of that. Very, very smart founders. I'm, I'm still really impressed by those guys. So, so what um, um, did you did you need to go to Ukraine and be there, or did you do uh, everything remote? I'm very sorry. I, I was unclear. I, I was making a joke about Ukraine. It's not really a joke. But what I said that the reason that curb uh failed yeah was because ah, putin mm. uh, started the war in ukraine yeah. and that made the, the rents uh, the rates go up so everything yeah. money became more expensive yeah, yeah so, okay. so thousands yeah, okay. of startups all over the world was yeah. killed yeah. Yeah. directly and kerbots is one of the those. okay they then were, i got it they then, were in, then i understand yeah, in good so. company but uh, if if, uh, if that had not happened i think i would still be working there okay cool Uh, and, and, and the most interesting of all companies, um, since I'm a golfer, and, uh, is actually the company you are uh, at today. It's uh, Top Tracer. Yes, it is a very interesting company, uh, and uh, I, I have to admit that that I am, in general, uh, not particularly interested in sports, and in particular, I'm not interested in golf. <laughs> uh, and I discussed this with, with my uh, my boss. You uh, get the evil eye now from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I had the talk tracer <laughs> cap on me, so I can hide behind that. Uh, really nice caps, by the way. Um, so so the, the marketing is spot on. But, but the, I I spoke to my my boss and my now colleague during my uh, interviews and said that this might be a problem, and I think that maybe you are really needing people to be completely bought in and said no there's surprisingly a lot of people that work here for technological reasons and and so on and so forth and we discussed uh, about a lot of other things and they, they uh, we decided that uh, it might be a good idea that I actually do work there but it was a little bit scary and it was not evident that uh, I would fit in properly so, so I'm I maybe I'm talking for some people here so what does top tracer do Good question. Uh, Top Tracer is uh, uh, one way to look at it. Is a, a very very cool company which uses military technology for civil purposes, yeah. or for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Uh, so the core uh, originally, and, and now I might actually mangle things because I only worked there for a short while, but originally they had an idea to use cameras, uh, two cameras for stereoscopic vision, and use computer. Uh, algorithms and later AI to track a ball in real time so that it could be shown in, on television on, oh, okay. on golf tournaments. So yeah. for many years and, and still I think for most uh, large golf tournaments they use Top Tracer event technology uh, to, to track the ball so you can see it even in, in broad daylight and in uh, diverse uh, weather conditions. Stuff like that. But you don't have like the technology behind those indoor golfing uh Incidentally, we yeah. do. Yeah. So what yeah. happened then was that somebody said, "Hey, I would like that in my golfing range," and and then uh, a product was developed with uh, a lot of servers, uh, partly handling the cameras and partly database service, as we call them, to handle um, displaying of the paths on each bay have a, a display, uh, interactive display. Yeah. So when you uh, hit hit the ball, yeah, it, it's called hit, right? Uh, and the ball. Uh, forms a path, you can track that path and show you exactly how many meters or if you use non-metric um, values you can have those also of course. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed how that works in that, uh, I mean, we're talking about milliseconds, that yeah. calculation. I'm always amazed when I, I, uh, I, I haven't tried it so many times, but I have tried it and I'm always amazed how do, how do, how is this possible, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's thanks magic. to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm working way above that. That's, so we have a lot of really, really talented people working with hardware and hardware integration and hardware-related software. So we have hardware and software on top of that. Algorithms work with that. And uh, we are developing our own... I don't want to give out too much data, but a lot of physical hardware is developed in-house. Maybe we don't uh, actually manufacture it directly, but we do the design and do the R&D. So lots of R&D going in. Ah. Uh, we have a lot of cloud services that uh, the the data uh, passes through. Yeah. And then we have a lot of user-centric systems also in the cloud, and sometimes mobile and sometimes web, where different kinds of users interact with that data. For example, d- during the games that you yeah. see in there, but we have similar experience in the mobile. So we have, and now we have a no, new product that we just rolled out called Coach, which was uh, displayed at the PGA show, is it called, in February this year. Um, and it's uh, a system for... I'm looking uh, at you, Yeah, I'm not going to the PGA shows. I'm looking at, uh, at TV and playing some golf. Uh, so, uh. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it's called that, the show, but there was a very, very large event in America where, where this was unveiled, this Coach platform. And it's a platform to... Uh, to serve coaches who can then keep track of people they are coaching. Yep. I would like to, here's an assignment for next week, you should ah, do these or these, just ah, okay. do that, and then they can see, no, that was actually quite bad. Yeah, but it was windy. It was windy. So then maybe you should try this club instead. So it can be done for ah. fitting or for, for keeping track of people. And uh, and the, the coaches, we have really, really good responses from this. Cool. So uh, it's, a, it's a good product. Uh, I, I wouldn't use it <laughs> for, for sure. No, because you will need to get so much coaching. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, uh, we, we have software for that. So, yeah. so uh, I had two questions. But the first one, uh, you, you have been consciously avoiding large companies. Yes. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. Uh, I think that um, larger companies, uh, in my experience, tend to attract people who are um, more interested in uh, um, form instead of content. So you have a lot of career people which are not really interested in doing much uh, rather than have careers. It is more people that actually do things in a smaller company than in a larger company. Yeah, makes sense. And makes sense. So, so uh, yeah. And I still don't think that Top Tracer is a large company. Uh, it's owned by Top Golf originally, uh, since a couple of years back, but was then uh, bought by Callaway, the world's largest golf uh, yeah. manufacturer. And that is a large company. Yeah. Uh, b- but we are very separate here in Sweden, and we have uh, specific interactions with Callaway. And I think it works surprisingly well, actually. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, it's a scale-up right now. It's 150 people, uh, something like that. So it's, uh, it's nice. So how, um, yeah, and I guess uh, that's kind of the same thing for me, right? So you don't want to be part of and being like a small ant just doing like this small thing. Uh, now I'm doing like a box, uh, squared box here with my fingers. So it's nicer because when you are at a scale up like you are right now, you get to do more in each area area rather than just doing now I'm just going to work on this small part on the API that's what you're going to do you're not going to do anything else 
Exactly. There's more of that, of course. And, yeah. uh, but but it's all come down to the people, actually. Yeah. And it's a higher chance of having uh, people that are easier to work with, the smaller company. is. And I think I really landed very well. Uh, people are really, really reasonable and, and honest in Top yeah. Racer. And not just saying that because you're listening right now. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, because I work there quite a lot of companies and, uh, and it, uh, it feels very good. So, yeah. so I have a very good code smell about Top Racer. So so my last question before, because now we're going to move into the, we have been a little bit everywhere anyway, but my, on your CV thing. So, so you've been working quite a lot with uh, developers coming from abroad. Uh, and we have quite many listeners uh, when we look at the stats that's coming from. So what, what would you recommend a person thinking about want to move to Sweden uh, or work with a Swedish cos- company? Uh, you can do it from abroad, of course. That's that's quite common as well. So, w- what would you recommend them doing before joining a Swedish scale-up uh, startup? I I would recommend to find another Swedish person they really like and move in with them because it's impossible to find somewhere to live by yourself in Stockholm. <laughs> you have to live in, in Finland or Luleå and then commute. Uh, it's really difficult. But if you're not from uh, Stockholm, if you <laughs> You, get, you know me coming from the south, so to, I'm not living here. Maybe you meet somebody online. I don't know really. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I'm sorted it? that way. But it, I, I just, one of the common thing on one of the challenges in moving to Stockholm is the, the housing situation. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's really hard. But if you uh, solve that somehow uh, by, by co-living or, or you happen to be very rich, uh, the uh, what I would recommend was is of course to to join the, the meetup communities from your systems of choice and and uh, and get to know as many people as possible. So it's to interact with yeah. the culture, kind of uh, with the Swedish people, rather than no, no, I think no, the, it's, the, it's, it's the meetup and and, and w- meetup. yeah, and, and when, when you actually mention it, we we of course we we're doing a lot of meetups here at uh, Couchbase as well, but. Uh, um, we, we talked about it as well. You, you were uh, uh, fund one of the starting up the Google Technology User Group in Stockholm, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and and that is um, a lot of, and I would say it's not uh, only Swedish people joining the the meetups, right? Uh, uh, that's a very good point. And, and and at least I mean, twenty thirty percent are are often uh, foreign uh, or co- coming from foreign countries to Sweden. Yeah at those meetups. So I think that uh, of course you should uh, try to interact with, with the Swedish culture and Swedish people. But it's really hard to do that without a, uh, a system or a method for it. Yeah. So if you're a programmer and, and then you go to the Swedish program meetup, like for example Google Technology User Group, which I, uh, I founded in Sweden, uh, then you get to meet other people which is Swedish, which are yeah. Swedish. And, um, um, and actually incidentally, uh, the cool thing about uh, uh, user and program meetups is that most of them uh, is actually run by uh, foreigners to the country where they are headed. So people, I met people in Google Developer Group, as they're called nowadays, from Finland and Denmark and Norway, and many of those came from like Sri Lanka or the Philippines or yeah. you know uh, parts of Africa. And it is something that I recognize. I feel outside society as yeah. a lone programmer, even though I happen to live in Sweden. Yeah. And the reason I started Google Technology User Group was I read about it by Sean's Google's mm-hmm. Girl and Boy Scouts. You know take a, a town and, and we'll send you a t-shirt <laughs> but, and you can run around uh, screaming our brand name as much as you like and we pretend not to see it and that's what I did uh, so uh, and, and it opened a lot of doors for me uh, people assumed I worked at Google which I did not and then I of course created them once I had a foot in the door and the reason I did this was because I knew no one 
and I needed customers because I just started my first consultancy, uh, yeah. ActiveBlog. Yeah. So it's very, again, very, very self-serving, but, but it ended up being really, really fun. I met enormous amount of really talented and really helpful people. Uh, so it ended up being not maybe a family, but a lot of people you knew and you get to know again. Uh, it's, it's super friendly and uh, we've done, uh, is it seven or eight meetups? We're doing a meetup uh, 28th of June in uh, AWS office and we will actually do it with uh, with Google in uh, most likely in September uh, as cool. well. So it's, uh, we, we, we feel that uh, it's, uh, people are connecting uh, with each other. Yeah. Learning do, and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have, uh, you know, Yes, for curiosity. So, so you've been running this longer than us. Uh, so, if you would like to start a um, a uh, user group like that, what what is your uh, tip and tricks around it? How to uh, how to run them? I mean, how do you get the best user group? That's basically the question. How do you get get it to be? as good as possible. Do you have any yeah, tips and tricks? I, I, I only know what I did actually uh, and um, I, I would recommend to be, to be honest uh, and to uh, acknowledge uh, any flaws or, or limitations. So if you are a few people, you are a few people and you have to do, and if you have to cancel, you cancel. You communicate with people and, yeah. um, and then try to get somebody with a wallet uh, whose brand you can latch onto because you don't have one yourself. Yeah. Uh, somebody has to pay the pizzas and the beers and people will not come unless you have pizzas and beers because it's in the evening and, and people yeah. want to eat. So, yep. so, uh, but if you have some kind of uh, limited wallet and what I did was go around to different companies uh, each month and I just mail them out of the blue and say we are this Google developer group. Oh Google and then of course we can buy pizzas and beers. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, uh, we had uh, we talk about everything that was interesting that I managed to coax somebody from the group, corner them basically, and then say, could you talk about that? And say, no, and then I had to talk instead. But did hmm. you have like, was it always on hands coding or was No, it? No, it, no, sorry, it, it was uh, very rarely that. So, so mm. uh, we call that workshops or, or hackathons in that case. Yeah. And those are mostly half or, or whole days. Yeah. Uh, so what we do are monthly uh, tech talks, you can say. Yeah. Like, like between one and two tech talks. Rarely three because then it takes so so long time for people to come home. If oh, they don't. yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah, and um, one thing um, I would like to just... Uh, we're wrapping up, but uh, the, the open source, and you've been a part of the open source uh, uh, a lot. Um, what, what is uh, your feeling against the open source? And maybe you want to leverage a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a, uh, a cleanliness factor, I think, for any, any company that creates a service or a product to have an open source variety and, and a free tire if you have a service so that you can allow these actually fairly shy and um, often burnt developers dare to come out of their shells and, and try your stuff because yeah. they don't yeah. have time to read they don't understand properly they have uh, misaligned conceptions it, 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 th their time is short uh, so it's really good to have open source so you can download uh, invisibly and try out for yourself yeah so, so it's a good sales tactic to come under the radar i think yeah, uh, and that is what we're seeing as we, with Couchbase. We have the community edition; you can download for free. Uh, and, yeah. and so yeah. it's 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 a perfect uh, match uh, making that. Um, I, I have one question. I realize more again. Uh, I know we need to stop now, but what is your take on uh, AI and ML? I mean, it's a hot topic. It has it been is. for a long time. What do you what do you think about it? I mean, do you actually think 
there is a, such a thing as AI or is it more likely advanced ML? It doesn't really matter, I think. I'm very practical about this and I'm actually in a process of trying to figure out for Talk Tracer how we how we can work to figure out whether it's applicable to us and, and where it's applicable, where we can use it. And I think it can be very useful. Uh, but I, 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 I will be I will see what the data uh, gives, what other people tells me. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago yeah. made by a Swedish company Sana Labs mm-hmm. and about AI and I thought this is probably quite uninteresting but AI is AI right so I go yeah. there and uh, Sana ma- makes uh, very very good systems for creating online courses for companies that you create using AI and then use AI to uh, test people and stuff like that so it's a kind of a narrow uh, area yeah. and we don't re- I thought we mo- probably don't have use for that and then I realized the conference was of course a sales pitch and it was a very very good sales pitch and I was really happy they did that because they said, okay, we are one of the oldest uh, customers and partners of OpenAI. We started in 2017, but nobody actually knew about them. So they're really, they're really kind of close. Yeah. And they're using GPT-4 models, APIs yeah. behind everything. And now we are on top of our uh, course creation platform. We have a generic concept where you can plug in Teams, Google Drive, Dropbox, all your documents. And you can ask questions about the entire company. Why what are the likely reasons that the sales targets were not met for Q4? Summarize in two short sentences with more data. Microsoft has that, Google has that for their own products. Sana.ai is a third party which can combine everything and they have... Wow. Yeah, so that's why it's interesting and I'm trying to evaluate that right now. Their yearly price for 100 users are half of what it would cost to buy ChatGPT for 100 users ah, at the oh. moment. Wow. If you have 100 users, which we might not, uh, that are users. So, so it, it's uh, tricky, but it's interesting. The other thing that you might evaluate is should you run it in-house instead with your own graphics cards? So that's also a possibility because you don't want to risk your IP to go out in the cloud. Yeah, so, so we um, need to wrap it up. Thanks for the uh, elaboration and we can talk yeah. about this for a long, long time. I know, uh, but we don't have any beers. But, it's, uh, <laughs> no. but it's the future. Maybe we'll do another yeah. talk just about yes. AIML. Yes. So thank you so much for having us and all the yes. um, all the information you can find in the links on the podcast. So yes. uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Bye. Uh, bye. <laughs>